Rebecca Vega, and this is My Sober Life. Welcome back to another episode of My Sober Life. Thank you for joining me today. I am going to stick with my original topic today, but before I do, I have to note something. I'm publishing this episode on January 12th, 2021, less than a week ago. Something very substantial happened in this country, and I still haven't found the words to describe how I feel about everything. And as this particular podcast is not political, it's not partisan, I'm not interested in trying to change people's minds about certain topics. I really am more about making this inclusive and helpful and more about changing you individually and how you feel about yourself. But I do feel the need to say that the destruction and subsequent deaths that we witnessed on Wednesday were horrific and terrifying. And I just want to say that if you're hurting or feeling some really overwhelming emotions around all of the stuff that's going on, you are not alone. Coping with this kind of trauma is difficult. Even if you weren't physically there in person to experience it, it can be overwhelming And there are resources out there if you're struggling. Emotional distress is very overwhelming. And a lot of times when you're in the experience, you don't recognize what's happening. Everything's very reactive. Your adrenaline starts pumping. Most people will kind of compartmentalize anything that's scary. And you tend to get locked in on one sort of response. Some people are scared, crying, hysterical. Some people are very take charge and looking at the next move. Everybody reacts differently to these situations. But once you get out of it, that's when it all sort of starts settling in. And that part is the one that not everybody always addresses. So there is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. They have a section under their website, which is samhsa.gov, about coping tips for traumatic events and disasters. It states, emotional distress can happen before and after a disaster. Coping strategies include preparation, self-care, and identifying support systems. It is incredibly important that everybody takes care of themselves while we all are experiencing this. If you know someone who was there and experienced it in real life, it's even more so than those of us who were just watching and witnessing everything on TV. Every time you rewatch something, it can re-traumatize you. So these resources are very important. Their website has a lot of good quick tips, simple things like getting enough good sleep and maintaining a routine and not making major life decisions when you're in these mental states. And then there's there's more detailed links and, and resources if it's something deeper than that. There's lots of local resources depending on what state you're in, what city you're in, what county you're in. They exist specifically to help with these sorts of situations. So I highly encourage anyone who's really having a hard time dealing with the ongoing onslaught of trauma and horror and disarray that we seem to be surrounded with in this country right now. Please seek out help. Make time for yourself. Help quiet things down. Get off social media. Get off the news. Take breaks. A lot of things that we were kind of touching on last week, you just kind of need to give yourself that space in order to cope and deal with some of these things. They're unprecedented. Many of the things that have been happening over the last year to two years, this pandemic, for instance, none of us have experienced these things before. It's incredibly new and our brains are just not ready to tackle this. So take care of yourself, care about you. And now we'll jump into the episode for real. 
And today I'm going to tell you a story about my body. Women do seem to have a a bigger struggle with body issues. I know men feel the same way in a lot of ways, but there are just certain things that seem to be female specific. I have spent my whole life in a battle of hating myself and my shell, doing my best over time to try and recognize all the ways that it gets me through every single day and allows me to do all the things that I enjoy doing. But that has come with practice and it and it doesn't work all the time. So when I was a kid, well, I'll give you a little bit of background. So my heritage, uh, my ancestry, ethnicity, all of those things, I am white, but I am half Mexican. You would not be able to tell that by looking at me. I have very, very pale skin. My mom's side of the family originated in Europe. And so I am extremely pale, ghostly pale. I do tan, but it takes a lot of committed effort. And even when I am as tan as I could be, I am the same color as someone who has olive skin naturally. So you wouldn't even call me tan. I also have um, what's called Basque history and notoriously, and I'm also Irish. So I'm Mexican, I'm Basque, I'm Irish. So I'm very pale, I am very hairy, and I'm very freckly. These are the things that you can imagine about me. Because of that, the hairy piece in general, I have been incredibly self-conscious about my body from a very young age. And I grew up from kindergarten through 12th grade, I went through Catholic school. I went through one school from kindergarten through eighth grade, and then I went to Catholic high school. And in the elementary middle school years, I had to wear a uniform. And at that time, for the majority, up until like seventh or eighth grade, we the, the girls were not aware, allowed to wear pants. We had to wear culottes or skirts up until I want to say sixth or seventh grade. And then they finally allowed us to wear shorts or pants. Um, the pants were awful and completely uncomfortable. So basically, from age five to age 14, I did not wear pants to school. In the winters, we could sometimes wear like these really thick leggings, socks, things. I wouldn't even know what to call them in today's vernacular. But um, overall, no pants. It was very cold. Always the uniforms. Super fun. In about fourth grade, I want to say, I think it was around 10 years old, my leg hair, juxtaposed with my very pale skin, was extremely noticeable. It was very dark. And someone noticed. And they called me a gorilla. That sort of sticks with a young girl. That sticks with any 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 kind of name calling sticks with you, but that one that one was pretty huge. And so I remember going home, kind of staring at myself in the mirror, and um my sister still lived at home at the time, I believe, or at least she had left stuff at home. There was a razor in our in our bathroom. And so I thought, you know, shaving can't be that hard. I'd seen my sisters do it. And I I just decide that I do things and know how to do things. So, you know, we'll just jump right in. So I put my little leg up on the toilet and I ran that generic razor right over my leg. No water, no shaving cream, completely dry. So much pain. I, of course, cut myself but I didn't care. I kept going. I pulled the blade across the skin on each shin, bottom to top, over and over again, cut, cut, nick, nick, bleeding everywhere. So my hair was mostly gone in like two two strips on each of my legs. And I thought I'd done a great job. I did not. <laughs> and my mom noticed 
the next day in the car and she was horrified. She's like, oh my gosh, what have you done? And I tried to make something up, hoping I would be in less trouble, you know, the instinct to lie. And so she strictly forbade me from doing that again until I was older. But she did feel sorry for me. So her solution was, okay, you have light skin and dark hair. Maybe if we give you light hair, it'll be less noticeable. So she went to the store and bought hair bleach. She thought that would help make it less noticeable and maybe I wouldn't get teased anymore. After the cuts healed, she sits me in the living room in front of the TV. She pulls on some rubber gloves and I stretch my legs out onto the coffee table and she starts lathering them with this bleach. Oh my gosh, you guys, I can't, I can't even, I can feel it right now just talking to you and imagining it. My legs were on fire. They itched so bad and I wriggled and I was shaking and I was screaming and she's like, I, it can't work if we don't leave it on. Like that's the whole point of bleach. It has to soak into the hair and she's telling me to relax. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Are you out of your mind? I'm not going to relax. The itching and the burning was so intense and I had never experienced anything like that before. So after a few minutes, she's like, fine, whatever. She brings in a wet towel. She wipes it all off. She's exasperated. And I probably didn't even care or say thank you because I was just like tortured and traumatized by what had just happened. And I so wished that I was just naturally blonde. And in the summers, I was on the swim team. And so you know what kind of uniform that is. I lived in my swimsuit, lived in it for three months out of the year, basically put it on first thing in the morning, didn't take it off all day. And as I grew older, my dark hair became more and more of a problem for me in this area. I was so intensely self-conscious about it. I would stand with my hands hanging like right in front of the bikini line of my swimsuit and holding my goggles, hoping that I was blocking that hair that was starting to grow a little thicker around that area. Even when I did start shaving, razor burn and those ingrown hair bumps and all that stuff. And so I was so, I'm like, everybody's staring Everybody's staring at me all the time. And I could just hear it. You know, look at the gorilla who can't even shave right. I just couldn't deal with it. When we go to race, I don't know if you're familiar with swimming. If you've ever watched some Michael Phelps, you have to bend over pretty significantly when you take off from the blocks. And I just remember thinking if there were people behind me, they could see an area of my body that I couldn't see. I had no idea what it looked like back there. So instead of focusing on the race ahead of me, I imagine that I'm probably just as much of a gorilla back there. Who was staring at me? Oh, there was this boy that I had a crush on. Oh my gosh, I can picture him in my mind. I know his name, but I'm not going to say it because God forbid somebody out there knows him. I never saw him again after that, but he was so cute. And he was we were doing a relay. And for some reason, he was standing with my relay team. And I just was like, I do not want to bend over to get ready to do this race. Because I knew he was standing there. And I had no idea what he was going to think of my body. Why was my body betraying me by being so freaking hairy all the time? And I'd love to tell you that I don't still deal with that today. But that would be a bald faced lie. I am in my 40s now. And I am still very pale and very hairy. And the the hairy legs thing is something that bothers me substantially. I now, I own my own electrolysis device and I self-zap in the hopes that it'll just stop growing. I joke that if somebody asks, 
you know, what's the one thing you could change about your body? And mine would be to be hairless from the cheekbones down. Uh, Just hair on the head, eyebrows, that's it. No other hair. I don't like it. I can't stand it. I wish I didn't have it. And I have dreams about it. I have dreams about being somewhere wearing shorts or a bathing suit and I have not shaved my legs and everybody is staring and pointing and laughing. I still have that dream to this day. And it's kind of crazy when I think about it. I think about how much effort and energy we put into thinking about our own bodies and all the ways that they are failing us. When in reality, with the exception of some degenerative disc stuff I've got going on and some arthritis in my hip, I'm still in pretty good shape. I can walk. I can move. I can keep up with my kids. I have brought two humans into the world. I wake up every day breathing. And a lot of people can't say those things. And I know we're not really supposed to do comparative suffering Brene Brown on her podcast, Unlocking Us, talks has a great episode about comparative suffering, which I highly recommend because we all tend to do it of, well, I'm feeling bad, but, you know, my bad isn't as bad as other people's bad, so I shouldn't feel bad anymore. No, your, your, your feelings are still valid. And, and how, how you are dealing with your hurt matters. You need to get right with yourself before you can start helping others. So it's a daily practice. There was a whole stretch of time there where I wouldn't even look at myself in the mirror, didn't want to see my body, didn't want to see my face. The hair piece is, well, not the hair piece. I don't have a hair piece. The hairy part of it is strongly connected to my feelings of being feminine. I've never been a super girly girl. Never. I would have been classified as a tomboy, very athletic, my legs in particular, extremely muscular. They are not model legs. They are a sprinter leg. My quads are huge. So are my calves. And there's nothing I can do about that. I don't even have to work out. They just are that size. I like dresses. I don't love them. I don't like getting dressed up. I don't wear makeup. Still, to this day, I I do it occasionally, but I'd rather not. Uh, Comfort over fashion always much to the chagrin of some friends of mine who uh, I think would much like to change that about me. Even in the even in the professional world, as a professional woman, I did not wear makeup. Most days, I did not wear makeup unless I had an important meeting with an outside client or I was giving a presentation of some kind. I didn't. And my feelings of self-worth over time have grown to love myself mostly without those. And for for me, I love makeup. It's a form of art for me. I think it's really fun. And so I enjoy it, but it's not something I want to do every day. It's a, just another way to elevate my expression if I want to. I wish I could go back and tell myself that, that these things that you're doing and feeling are okay. Gosh, I wish I could tell every young person and get them to believe and trust in themselves that other people's opinions of them do not matter. I put so much stock and energy in other people's opinions of me. I let that drive my decision making for a very long time. And I find a lot of my peers in, in, in my age group, particularly females, find their 40s very liberating because it's finally the point where you're like, wait a minute, why have I been caring about what other people think of me for all this time? What I want 
what I'm going to do has nothing to do with them. Why am I letting this drive me? Anytime you're thinking about doing something and your first thought is, oh, but other people might think this, or someone might say this, that, that's, that's what drives all of us. We hear it all the time. I just finished reading Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. She has this whole section where she's talking about her optics were so important that there was a whole team dedicated to it. And her if her team got convinced that like, okay, maybe this thing won't matter, then all of a sudden the president's team was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, optics, optics, optics. And I'm fortunate enough that I don't live in the public eye, so I don't have to worry about that. And the fact that I've basically lived in some version of a tank top, shorts or leggings does not matter. I haven't had to present any version of myself to anyone. And that leads me to another story that I wanted to tell really quickly. And I got my husband's permission to tell this story. As I stated, I do not wear makeup daily. But sometimes, and a lot of it had to do with sleep, especially when you're raising young children, sleep is the most important thing you can possibly get. And I absolutely would choose sleep over getting ready. If I could sleep for 15 more minutes and that meant no makeup, no shower, whatever, fine. My main goals... I'm clean. My clothes are clean. We're good. We're going in. But there were times when I woke up early and thought, there's nothing going on today special, but hey, I have the time. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to do the whole thing. I'm going to dry my hair. That's like a 20 minute thing. Don't have that time every day. I'm going to take the time to put on some makeup today. And when I say put on some makeup, I'm talking light powder and probably mascara and that's it. Nothing else. But that's it. That's low maintenance makeup me. And sometimes if I did that and I had that time, my husband would make a comment, who are you getting all dressed up for? And I can't truly explain very well in words what that feels like. To have someone say, instead of just being like, you look nice today or nothing at all, maybe you don't have to say anything. But instead being like, oh, the only reason that you're doing this is for someone else. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong because I had spent so much time, effort, and energy doing things for other people that for him, it didn't make sense that I would put on makeup just for me. But I did. There were days that it was just, I want to feel good about myself today. I have the extra time and I'm going to do this for me. But to immediately get called out as, oh, you got a hot date later, all of that shit. You guys know what I'm talking about. It was disheartening. And so then I wouldn't wear makeup for a long time because I didn't want it to be a thing. At one of the last companies I worked for, I did not wear makeup very often. I wear glasses almost exclusively unless I'm playing sports. They just feel better to me and I have chronic dry eyes. So contacts don't feel great if I uh, wear them for too long. But there were occasions where I would wear contacts, or I would put on makeup, or I would wear something a little dressier than my normal. And everybody would have something to say about it. Oh my gosh, I didn't even recognize you. And it was like a total Clark Kent Superman thing. It was very strange. And I just didn't understand. Do I really look this much different when I wear this? And apparently I do. And I have compared pictures of myself with and without makeup. And makeup is paint. It's art. So you absolutely can transform yourself. But it it was so weird, like to actually live through that and say, okay, well, what's wrong with me normally? 
you seem to really like this version better. Why is this version better? I'm still me. Behind all this, I got to wash this off later. I'm going to break out and it makes me itch. And if that mascara gets in my eye, this contact's coming out, no doubt. And I think back to that little girl who just hated her body because she felt like it was betrayed. Why is my body so hairy? Why am I not like that body over there? I am not super stoked about the physical shape that I'm in, but it's mostly because I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt because of it. If I were to try to go and play volleyball right now, I probably would. I had shoulder reconstructive surgery a little over five years ago, and it was acting up again right before we went back into the last lockdown. And I was having to totally adjust my game so I wouldn't tear it again because I really don't want to have to have that surgery again. So I've been trying to rest it and stretch it and do some other things, but I get winded walking up the stairs. I took a hike with my sisters on the morning of New Year's and I was so tired. (laughs) It's embarrassing. You know, it wasn't a hard hike. It didn't have a lot of inclines and it was embarrassing to me. And I want to make that super clear. Nobody else is thinking about me. No one else is talking about me. It's all in your own head. It's an embarrassment to me. And I think that comes from being an athlete my whole life. I held myself to a pretty high physical standards, although I did not have the knowledge of nutrition and flexibility care that I wish I would have back then. I think I could have saved myself a lot of injuries and not be in the in as much physical pain as I am in now if I had taken care of myself back then. But because of that, I sort of, I sort of always have this mental picture of myself in my head of what I think I look like. And I'm, it's a strong person who could help you move and do all this stuff. And I can't do those things. Now, if something were to happen and I needed to protect my children, I don't know that I could. I couldn't outrun someone who was chasing me. You know, these are, these are the, the things that I think about is like practical, <laughs> practical real world situations. I can't protect myself and my family. And that probably comes from, again, from the female perspective. You know, it's been better because we don't go anywhere. We don't do anything. But for a long, long, long time, I lived that rape schedule where you're constantly on the lookout. You're constantly aware, always thinking in the back of your head that any situation could turn negative at any point. And not being able to protect myself in those situations is something that I thought about. So sometimes that was a good motivator for me to want to stay in in decent shape. Nothing crazy, but, you know, be able to run. I wanted to be able to run for at least a few miles without getting tired. And I wanted to be able to at least push someone, be able to push someone away, at least fight, at least fight a little bit. And I couldn't do that now. Thank you so much for listening. Send me your questions and stories at mysoberlifepodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe, wash your hands, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.